you know, with, with your money, they will keep, you know, controlling the country and that they will buy, you know, guns and weapons and then they will kill us. Hello, sisters and brothers, and welcome to the Solidarity Center podcast, an interview show that highlights and celebrates the individuals working for labor rights, the freedom to form unions, and democracy across the globe. I'm your host, Shauna Bader-Blau. I'm also executive director of the Solidarity Center in Washington, D.C. We're the largest U.S.-based international worker rights organization. We empower workers to raise their voice for dignity on the job, for justice in their communities, and for greater equality in the global economy, and for one just future. On February 1st, 2021, the Myanmar military staged a coup, overturning the democratically elected government and installing a military junta an authoritarian form of government that is, in practice, a military dictatorship. Since the coup, nearly 1,000 people have been killed, and at least 5,000 arrested, most tortured in prison. The Myanmar people have responded with massive protests against the junta, and from the beginning, workers, especially women workers and their unions, have led the way. My guest today is Cho Sander So, a union leader and the Assistant General Secretary of the Confederation of Trade Unions, Myanmar. She has been on the front lines of the civil disobedience movement that is protesting the military junta. The conversation you're about to hear takes place while Sister Sandar lives in a safe house. Her own government has revoked her passport, along with dozens of other union leaders, to prevent any of them from leaving the country while they are being hunted by the regime. In fact, banning unions was one of the first actions the military junta took, because when workers join together, they are such a powerful force that they can stand up even to a dictatorship. Sandar is also a former garment worker, which informs her work as an organizer with the Federation of Garment Workers Myanmar. As the multinational fashion labels that manufacture their garments in Myanmar begin to reopen, she offers us a unique perspective on how the international community can truly help the workers that are fighting for their rights. Things as basic as getting paid for their work. One quick note for listeners. During our conversation, you'll hear us refer to both Myanmar and Burma. The political history on how the international community has referred to this country is rich and controversial and worth reading about. We are so grateful and thrilled that Sister Sandar could join us and share with us the bravery of Myanmar workers as they use their voice and their power to stand up for democracy in the face of state-sponsored brutality. Can you please introduce yourself and give us your title and your role uh, in the trade unions uh, movement? Yes, uh, my name is Kyo Sandasu. I am Assistant General Secretary of Confederation of uh, Trade Unions, Myanmar, CTUM. Yeah, my union, Confederation of Trade Unions of Burma, CDUM is the, the, the first one, uh, which is the most representative uh, 
trade union organization in Myanmar. Uh, currently, the, yes, I am participating in the Supreme Revolution, which is to fight back against the military handout. And um, Sander, you know, as we get started here, I really just wanted to check in with you. How, how are you doing? It's been a really intense couple of months. How are you? How's your family? Yeah, uh, personally, uh, yes, of course, uh, we have been uh, receiving a lot of pressure from the military handler. Right now, uh, they have been uh, charging uh, so many articles according to our penal code. So we are hiding, you know, so that uh, we cannot be arrested uh, by the by this uh, brutal military army. So yes, of course, uh, we we have stress. You know, we feel uh, sometimes we feel depressed because uh, people we trade unionists we are doing you know our, our democracy fight peacefully. But at the same time, the military handler, they are cracking down the innocent people and trade unionists uh, very brutally. So of course, uh, we feel depressed because, you know, we, we, we want to do uh, something which is very effective uh, for, the, for this Supreme Revolution. Uh, we really uh, angry you know, with the, this uh, military agenda, very brutal. They are very brutal. They are killing uh, innocent people and uh, they are killing trade unionists and they are torturing trade unionists and people. So that's why, uh, yeah, personally, yeah, I feel angry. Yeah, sometimes I feel, uh, you know, uh, deep, stress, stressful. Uh, sometimes, yeah, I feel depressed i can i can imagine and and yet i've i've seen your incredible activism through this incredibly tough time and i can only imagine what that's like i i wonder you mentioned that uh you and and many of the uh, labor leaders of of burma are in fact in hiding uh can you share a little bit about what is that experience like <laughs> like you know we are we are living in prison Mm -hmm. Because uh, uh, we are hiding in uh, so-called safe safe houses, but it is not safe. So at the same time, we have been participating in the uh, daily, you know, uh, actions, uh, which is uh, you know to uh, to fight back against the uh, military handler. Uh, we cannot stay, you know, uh, in safe houses only because we are in the middle of the, uh, the, the revolution. So we have to find, you know, there's uh, so many solutions to fight back uh, the military handout to achieve our democracy movement, uh, democracy fight. So that is why, you know, uh, even though we are in uh, dangerous zones, but uh, we are, you know, struggling, we have been struggling for our fight. You know, this feeling is, uh, you know, uh, sometimes, I feel uh, proud, you know, of myself and uh, of my organization, yeah, of uh, the the revolution, uh, because you know, even though we have a brutal crackdown by the army, uh, like us, people, we don't, we don't really afraid. We are not, you know, really afraid at all. All the time, we are finding the solutions 
to end this game, you know, to achieve uh, this fight. So sometimes we feel uh, confident. We feel we we feel you know we are protected by the people by the community. But sometimes you know uh, uh, due to the uh, the risks what we are doing, uh, we feel unsafe. It's an in, intense situation on the ground since the military took over in February, and. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the role of unions, unions and worker organizations since the military uh, coup. What role have unions been playing? Yes, uh, that is a uh, very good question. And uh, trade unions, uh, you know, normally the, our age is uh, working for uh, working population, working age people is from. Uh, uh, in Myanmar, from uh, 16 years old to uh, the 60 years old, uh, we we are in the, uh, the the between these ages. Trade union is so that is why, you know, uh, you will see that since the military coup, trade unions and Generation Z, Generation Z is very uh, young ages, uh, young age people. We are leading the uh, the revolution for trade unions. You know. Uh, we are parents of uh, Generation Z at the same time. Like, uh, you know, double, we are participating in this movement, like parents and then like, uh, you know, ourselves uh, for the uh, re revolution. So for CDUM and uh, for trade unionists, uh, since the military coup, yeah, CDUM, we are the part of the, we were the uh, part of the uh, tripartite uh, mechanism uh, inside the country. Uh, since the military coup, we announced uh, our position and then we informed to the military gender, you are not democratic government, you are the uh, military uh, gender, and you took the, the country, uh, you controlled the country unfairly and justly, and then, uh, you know, by using weapons and guns. So that is why we, we don't recognize you as our government, so we stopped you know, working together with the military agenda. So we officially informed them. So that is our role in the uh, the separate revolution. We started as soon as, you know, the military coup, we officially informed them, the military agenda. We cannot work with you. We are not uh, our government. You are, you know, you, you are not our government. You are not representing us at all. So that's why we stopped working together with you we resigned from the uh, the tripartite mechanism inside the country. That was a really incredible moment when the labor movement of uh, Myanmar saw the coup and told the new regime, you are not legitimate and we will not participate in these talks with you. For our listeners, uh, tripartite means gover government, employers, and workers. And the workers said, the government here is not legitimate. We're pulling out. You use weapons. We're using peaceful resistance. That was a really powerful moment. I bet it sent a huge message to the military and to the people of Burma. See, we can see that uh, CDUM, who announced, you know, stopping together and uh, working together with the military regime. So uh, our members and then other trade unions, uh, they really support it. And then people also support it. And the under uh, CTUM, uh, we have uh, public sector workers' unions. So by looking at our statement, position statement, they also, 
you know, uh, have, uh, they got a uh, motivation and that the joy, see that this obedience movement, uh, which is very important, you know, to, uh, to fight back the military gender. So Myanmar trade unions, by looking at our uh, stand, our position statement, they got motivation and uh, they stand up uh, with us and that uh, they started uh, see the disobedient movement. So like that, you know, we got um, yeah a lot of good uh, re uh, reaction from people. And then later on the, on the 6th of February, uh, CTUM, we joined mass demonstration. So the, the labor movement right from the beginning was not only objecting to the junta, but was also mobilizing members and workers to come out and protest as part of the new democracy movement, the CDM. Can you tell us a little bit more about the CDM? Who is participating? What is that movement about? Yes, uh, mostly, the, you know, in the beginning, uh, we understood that uh, civil disobedience movement is, uh, you know, uh, responsible for the uh, government sector, civil uh, public sectors uh, in the beginning. So all public sector workers, uh, especially uh, Myanmar train sectors, oil and gas sector, and education sectors. These main uh, sectors, uh, they started, you know, civil disobedience movement. They stopped, you know, working under the uh, the military regime. And uh, we can see that 95% uh, of public sectors workers from these sectors, they stopped working together, working under the military gender. Wow, so, 95%. That's incredible. Yeah, 95%. Which, uh, you know, that is why the military handler, they cannot implement, they cannot operate uh, their, uh, their activities. In the beginning, we, we got awareness, you know, this civil disobedience movement is related to the uh, public sector workers. Then, then later, we understood that private sector workers also should be joining. So that is why we uh, discussed with the uh, the factory owners, employers. We will also participate in the uh, the movement. So you better give uh, you know leaves uh, for us for the workers. So some uh, employers who are supporting the Supreme Revolution, they uh, give uh, they pay you know leaves uh, for workers. But some employers you know which uh, are who are supporting the military handler. Uh, they give pressure against the workers who join this, this civil disobedience movement. They give, you know, a current address of workers and trade unionists to the military handler. So we are facing, you know, at the same time, uh, the employers who are supporting the Supreme Revolution and the employers who are supporting the military gender. Wow, I want to ask a lot of questions about that. Uh, about the role of employers. Before we get there, though, take us back to those first rallies. That first, uh, you know, month, we saw pictures, you know, on the internet, on TV, of just hundreds of thousands of people. And you're talking about how trade unions were like right at the center of that on the street. What was it like? Like, what were those rallies like? Like, what what did it feel like to be on the street protesting against the junta with all of these citizens of your country? Uh, Chief Army Mayonglai, in his interview, he admitted that he did not expect that, you know, like that, 
you know, people across the whole country uh, would do this kind of demonstration, you know, to show our desire, our willingness, you know, we reject the coup. You know, people, everybody, you know, uh, on the streets, in the streets, on the roads, we want to show our desire, you know, which is we reject the coup. You know, we will overthrow the military handout. So everybody, we wants to show our desire. In 88, they also uh, took coup, you know, with uh, by using guns and weapons. But this time is 21st century, you know, in 2021, uh, 2021, you cannot, you know, this time you will not succeed at all. You know, this military coup will not succeed at all. So people and trade unions and the workers, we show our desire to the military agenda. Every day we want to do, you know, we want to, uh, we want to do demonstration every day. If we do not do only for one day, we feel that we are not dutiful, you know, for the country. It's an incredible, powerful image you're talking about, the the drive of people to have uh, their own country be the democracy that they want, and they're not going to accept another coup. You went through it in 1988, don't want to face it again. You know, I can imagine that energy on the street was intense and I, the pictures on, on television really were moving. Were there some common, like, what were people saying in the streets? Were there like certain signs people had or common chants people had? What, did, what was the movement on the ground? What were people saying? What was motivating people? Motivation is we have Generation Z, Generation Y, and Generation X. So Generation Y and Generation X, we have already experienced with the military coup. And under the military region, uh, you know, our life very bad. Uh, we cannot, you know, connect with the, uh, the international people. And uh, we cannot learn very well. And uh, uh, we were very poor. Our living standards was under poverty line for many years. And that the country was announced to the uh, least developed country. Generation Z, the youngest generation Z, they have experienced democratic practice for 10 years under the, uh, the democratic government. So they, they know the, the value of uh, democratic, uh, the, the practice community, and that the country, you know, for certain certain uh, situation, the country developed, the country was developed, you know, not like in our uh, generation. That's why, uh, you know, trade unions and workers, like parents, we cannot uh, happen, you know, this for our generation alpha. So this is our motivation. So young people had experienced democracy and uh, were don't want to give it up. They've been living in the, uh, the possibility of the future, and here comes the military junta. So they're fighting against that, and their their parents are fighting out of love and pride for the country that they can build and for their children. So that's like yes. a, it sounds like an intergenerational commitment to democracy. Yes, yes, in Burma. like that, like that. Yeah, we don't want to give uh, dark ages for our generation alpha. So that's why, you know, that's why we must win. We must win. Yeah. We got this motivation. 
the the description you were giving earlier about strikes i imagine you know we know there's a, a significant garment sector in burma and that many many of the people who work in that sector are young and women and uh, we know that they were protesting and went on strike can you tell us a little bit about that movement of young workers yes garment factory workers they started a demonstration first so everybody, the student unions, and then other activists also, you know, uh, proud, proud to say that, that the movement in Yangon is started by the uh, young uh, garment factory workers, especially women. They started in the, uh, in the morning time. Then later, you know, afternoon in the evening time, yeah, like, like a CTUM and other trade unions, we joined together. And then the crowd is bigger and bigger. So. It's really proud to see that uh, garment factory workers started demonstration in Yango. Another thing is the uh, the uh, they after they joined uh, the demonstration, yeah, they got uh, serious pressure from the employers and the military gender and uh, you know uh, houses of the leaders raided by the military gender. So that's why they they are hiding as well and. Uh, workers they cannot go back to the uh, the factories because like i said uh, earlier employers they give uh, current address of the workers strikers to the military gender so they cannot go, go back to the uh, the factories they lost uh, their jobs but they don't give up so for two months they join these factory workers they keep uh, joining in the movement but after the serious uh, brutal crackdown, bloody crackdown by the military army, they cannot stay at their home. So right now, government factory workers who joined the Supreme Revolution, they lost their jobs and then they are hiding as well. You mentioned earlier that in the beginning of the movement, some employers were giving some workers leave to participate in the democracy movement but you also just said that other employers are giving names and addresses to the junta. Yes. Yeah. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit about what the crackdown on workers and labor leaders has been? What have been the consequences for all of you for your brave activism? Yeah, workers, you know, in Myanmar, before the things, before the coup, our minimum wage was very low. That is why we do not have savings. So we do not have savings at all. We are depending, you know, uh, for our daily survival on our wages. So when we lost, you know, our jobs, yeah, of course, we don't have earnings uh, for our families at all. In that case, we were not getting support from the national unity government, you know, as well. That is why we are depending on the uh, the donation from the local community. Uh, local community also, you know, this time is uh, very, we are facing economic recession already. And local community also, they cannot support much to the workers, trade union leaders. In that case, yeah, work, workers, they are living in renting houses. So they cannot pay and then they cannot buy food for their survival. So you will see that in many videos on YouTube, 
uh, especially in uh, uh, industrial zone areas, workers, they are taking, you know, the, the liquid uh, from getting uh, boiling rice. They cannot eat, you know, uh, nutritious food mm. because their living is very low. Mm. Uh, they don't have saving any money. And that is why uh, even for the, uh, you know, food, at the same time, we, we all are facing the pressure from the, uh, the military gender. So we all are running away and hiding uh, to the safe zones, uh, safe houses. So very a lot of uh, challenges for us. You know, back to your story about the industrial zones and how workers who used to be working in factories making clothes for export are now having to live because they spoke up for freedom and democracy. And I'm wondering, you know, they were making clothes for export, right? Uh, where, what kind of companies were sourcing in these factories, you know, and where were they exporting to? <laughs> yeah, uh, our main, we, we are also working with our international brands. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of uh, famous, popular uh, brands uh, working in Myanmar. And uh, yeah, suppliers are China, Korea, uh, you know, Taiwan, Japan. So a lot of our suppliers. So we are exporting to the, yes, of course, uh, European countries, US and other uh, developed countries. I would like to add one more thing. Uh, due to the, uh, the, the crackdown, brutal crackdown of the military regime, uh, trade union leaders, labor activists, uh, are running away, are hiding. That's why we cannot help for the workers. So right now, they have been facing a lot of workers' rights violation. In that case, they don't have, you know, uh, labor activists or trade union leaders who can support, who can help for their dispute. Very easily, the right now employers and uh, the military handle officials, you know, handle officials. I don't want to say them. I don't want to say they are not our government. I don't want to mention about they are not government, just military terrorists. You know, they are uh, they are right now exploiting exploiting our workers' rights. Workers, they don't get leaves and holidays. They don't get regular payment. They don't get uh, compensation, even for the temporary shutdown. You know, before the coup, uh, we, we claim back, we could claim back for our workers' rights, you know, at least in the dispute settlement mechanism. Trade union leaders and the labor activists, we can support, we can help uh, the, the victims, the workers who have, who have been violated. But right now, uh, for four hours that we are running, we are hiding. We cannot help for that. Our conversation with Sandar continues after the break. But first, if you want to support the brave women and men standing up for freedom in Myanmar, you can donate to a fund set up by the U.S.-based Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance. Your donation will go to those who have lost jobs and are struggling to survive because they stood up for a peaceful return to democracy. The link is available in the podcast notes for this episode and at solidaritycenter.org podcast. Hi there, it's Shauna again. I just wanted to take a minute to invite you to check out Radio Labor, the international labor movement's radio service. 
Radio Labor produces daily newscasts about union events and issues, and it also produces special programs to support labor campaigns around the world. Check out Radio Labor at radiolabour.net and find out more about worker rights struggles around the world and how the movement is supporting their efforts for decent wages, fair treatment, and strong communities. Follow and subscribe at radiolabor.net. Before we return to our interview, I want to share another way you can support Myanmar workers. The International Trade Union Confederation is sponsoring a strike fund for workers in Myanmar. The link is available in the podcast notes for this episode and at solidaritycenter.org slash podcast. As we spoke with Sandar, we lost the connection before she was able to find another way to join us. The junta regularly cuts off electricity across the country to block people from connecting to the international community and to each other. Well, this is one of the really remarkable stories of the 10 years of democratic opening in Burma, isn't it? That leaders like you in the labor movement of Burma worked at the grassroots with garment workers, agricultural workers, public and private sector to build trade unions and to build worker rights into the fabric and and daily life of workers so that if they had disputes, they had mechanisms and ways to to deal with these disputes with the employers. And if they couldn't get it fixed through through talking, they could strike a collective strike action to get something done. The, The workers of Burma have been really militant also over the last 10 years and developed this incredible organization. As you were describing the image of in this case, industrial workers living in industrial zones back in poverty, having lost the gains of the last 10 years, they also have lost their unions uh, as yes. a day-to-day settlement. I, uh, you know, as somebody, um, Sandar, as somebody who has dedicated your last many uh, years to building these unions, establishing this role for the labor movement in the country, now, I wonder um, what you're doing these days to keep in touch with other union activists. Are you able to stay in communication? Are you- Sometimes, you know, good things and bad things. The good thing is uh, due to the, uh, the you know, military hand, right now, trade unions, we, uh, we got, we achieved more unity among us. But due to the, uh, the, our common enemy, Right now, we are very closely working together under the uh, Labor Alliance. So every Saturday, uh, we have Labor Alliance meeting. Uh, we discuss about the uh, current challenges uh, for workers and for the country for our revolution. So, and uh, at the same time, uh, we are part of the, uh, the general strike uh, coordination body at the country level. Uh, five representatives from the Labor Alliance are getting involved uh, in this com- uh, in this body. So day to day, we are discussing. Uh, we are very closely working together for our country. And that Labor Alliance, I know that 
uh, together, the trade unions of Burma are making demands, uh, calling for specific uh, actions from global corporations and also from governments around the world. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What are the current demands of the movement uh, for democracy in Burma and the trade unions in particular? Yes, uh, sister, thank you so much uh, for this question. Uh, yeah, right now, trade unions, uh, we are working you know, for our revolution in two ways. One is, yes, we have to maintain our civil disobedience movement, not only for the public sector, but also for the uh, private sectors. You know, international people, uh, we see that even though we have bloody crackdown by the regime, our demonstration every day that you will see that demonstration is uh, keeping, you know, every day we are demonstrating. Uh, maybe that the method will be changed, you know, right now, due to the uh, bloody crackdown, we change uh, flash mob style. But at least you will see that uh, we have to maintain our momentum uh, for the uh, the peaceful demonstration. Uh, for this uh, peaceful demonstration, a lot of uh, challenges uh, we have been facing, especially for the workers. I have already mentioned earlier that uh, trade unions and workers, we don't have any saving monies uh, due to the low uh, living income, you know, things uh, before the coup. Yeah, we need a uh, humanitarian assistance from you because uh, your workers, your basic class people, we don't have any uh, income, money to buy, even to buy food. So we are facing uh, serious challenges. So of course we need uh, humanitarian assistance. That is for the private sector. And another one is for the public sector workers. Our government uh, workers, your public sector workers, they are also joining in a civil disobedience movement. Uh, to uh, to keep uh, you know this fight, uh, of course uh, they need solidary support uh, from our brothers and sisters. So that is for the uh, inside internal movement. For the outside, uh, for the international pressure, uh, for example, they have already kicked out the uh, the military agenda from the sit-in. So that's very great news for us, and the international labor organization. And you know, during the uh, 109th uh, session, they have already kicked out uh, the military gender. And then FEU, FE, uh, Food and Agricultural Organization, they have already kicked out. And then United Nations Security Council uh, right now uh, kicked out the military gender. We would like to call for the international brothers and sisters to keep uh, international pressure for us, for us, uh, you know, for people in Myanmar. You are right now very, uh, you know, very soon the United Nations General Assembly Council will be convened. So in this uh, General Assembly, uh, please stand with us and then please help uh, Myanmar people to kick out the military gender at the UNG sitting as well. So we need this kind of pressure. So another pressure is, uh, uh, sister, we need a comprehensive sanction against the military handout. In the beginning, only confederational trade unions in Myanmar, CDUM, we propose a comprehensive sanction, mean, which is mean for each and every sector. We accepted that under the military hand, we cannot implement uh, our workers' rights at all. You know, every day, you know, day by day, our workers' rights are being violated by the employers and uh, the military hand. So we cannot uh, work 
you know, we cannot work uh, in uh, good conditions um, under the mil- uh, military system for government sector as well. You know, we will uh, we will post the list of demands of the labor movement of Burma on behalf of the democracy movement of Burma in our podcast notes so that everyone can see them and can link. I will I will tell listeners there are calls to raise money for humanitarian assistance, food and clothing support for the people of Burma who've been who've lost their jobs and are still fighting. Um, many of whom are in hiding. We will link to those fundraisers. You talked about um, the increasing isolation of the military junta at the level of the United Nations. You talked about the UN General Assembly and and hopefully they'll be isolated there. You talked about the Security Council. You talked about the International Labor Organization and how the junta was uh, rejected by the International Labor Conference as well. So there's a growing isolation. You hear sometimes in maybe like we hear from the White House or you hear from the European Union that sanctions are going to just hurt the people of Burma, that the people of Burma are in need of jobs, they're in need of income. And if we have sanctions, it's going to lead to more poverty. And so you hear a lot of governments saying that they don't support comprehensive sanctions. But I heard you say workers are calling for comprehensive sanctions. So what would you say to these other governments uh, across Asia, the United States, and Europe that are worried about the impact of sanctions on the people of Burma? According to my own experiences, in 2003, I was a government factory worker as well. In 2003, we were under the military handout like this. My factory was exporting to the United States and uh, the United States imposed sanctions against my factory. And then the factory shut down, you know, due to the sanction. I was a victim, you know, of this economic sanction. So I, I can say that, yeah, of course, we had a, a difficult time, you know, because I lost my job, you know, due to the sanction, economic sanction. But this time I understood that, you know, if we don't have any option, you know, to end this fight, you know, to overthrow the uh, the military regime, you know, for our beloved country, Myanmar, you know, we have to, yes, we have to take a better medicine to region. Our workers, we cannot work, you know, with uh, good working conditions. Every day, day by day, they are violating employers and the, the gender violating workers' rights. Right now, workers are not sure, even though they worked for a month, you know, for two months, whether they will get, you know, their payment, their salary. Because if uh, European Union, yeah, United States, other Asian countries, if you invest in Myanmar, your investment money will go to the military region. And then the military region, you know, with, with your money, they will keep, you know, controlling the country and then they will buy, you know, guns and weapons and then they will kill us. So that's why from here, I would like to call for, please don't invest in Myanmar. So this is 21st century. 
And then we all are implementing democratic principles, democratic practice. If you let the military handle, you know, control the country like, like that, you know, it will uh, separate to the ASEAN country, it will separate to the Asia country, it will separate to the, uh, the developing countries. We cannot let, you know, this military handle, you know, uh, to do that again. So please stop investment in Myanmar. A powerful call from workers themselves who are currently not only suffering the wrath of an unjust military that is killing people and threatening people and imprisoning people, but are also suffering job loss and lack of income. A powerful call you just made as workers for sanctions. I heard you say, Sandar, that we are workers, we have worker rights, we care about working standards and living conditions for workers. And we cannot have good jobs in a military junta. We cannot have democratic worker rights in a military junta. And so we need to end the junta. We need to end the military regime. And you're calling for sanctions. I wonder if when you think about the future and the call for sanctions, you mentioned it feels like you've got to take bitter medicine. It's like a bitter medicine. Yes. When you think about the next several months or however long it takes, I wonder how that, how you prepare for that. Sister, you know, even in uh, industrial zones, today I got a news, 200 factories will be shut down. You will see that uh, every day, uh, the, the, the military, they cannot uh, run the country because yeah, they are not legitimate government. That is why people, we don't accept or we don't listen to the military agenda at all. Government function, the country functions are uh, collapsed already. Every day, bomb explosions we are hearing. Even though we want to go to work, but our working places are not safe. They cannot secure our people at all. You know, even though international people are uh, as, uh, calling them security forces, but they cannot secure people at all. Even though you want to invest in Myanmar, you know, the, your investment will not be successful. And then your investment will not be benefiting uh, to our workers and people. You know, w, uh, sorry, UNICEF already uh, had a statement, 20 million people, you know, of Myanmar already under poverty line. So we will suffer more. Right now, you know, the good thing is military people, the military people, they are also weakening due to the, uh, the international pressure, uh, economic sanction, targets, you know, against the, uh, the military people. They don't have money. They are weakening at the same time. Uh, military backup party, right now they are, you know, blaming the military handle. You take the coup, but you cannot uh, run the country as a successful country. They are blaming each other already. I think, I believe that if we take better medicine, we will win this fight in a short time period. So motivated by 
the the hope of a uh, and and building towards something better in the future i i imagine when you're meeting in the labor alliance and you're talking with your uh, brothers and sisters in the labor movement that in addition to talking about like the tactics of, of survival and fight now you're also imagining a future what would it look like what would it look like to have the the government that you elected come back what would that mean for workers that vision that you're driving towards that motivates you to keep fighting what does it look like to have a democracy restored in burma and what does it mean for workers even though we have a lot of challenges we have to endure you know this kind of situation because we all know that this time people's motivation is you know day by day getting higher and higher we don't want to see uh we don't want to see more deaths so that is why we don't go you know uh we don't organize a very big crowd demonstration every day we are doing peaceful demonstration across the country you will see from the uh, the media international media so we are showing our motivation at this time our motivation not decrease not reduce at all so people we all know that we must end this game we must end this fight successfully. When I hear you say that, I think about how powerful that is for us to hear in the global community, that if the, the people of Burma and the movement of Burma for democracy is not giving up and is willing to endure hardship to win, that we should not give up either. The global community needs to stand by you and your demands. Sandar, you're a, a really uh, important leader in Burma. You're well known. You have been part of the leadership building the democratic labor movement of Burma. What is it in your upbringing or in your background that inspired you to get involved in the labor movement? Where does that come from in your life? What inspired you? I moved to Thailand. I moved to Thailand, you know, to get a better job in uh, 2006. So I worked in a garment factory yeah, as a migrant worker. Then later, uh, sister, yeah, without documents, I moved to Thailand and I worked in a garment factory. The police, Thai police arrested me for illegal migration. And then uh, I, I was in prison uh, for two times for illegal migration. So when I was in prison, Thai prisons, I saw a lot of Burmese migrant workers like me. So I started, uh, you know, thinking my country is very rich, you know, in natural resources. We have very good workforce, but why I am poor, you know, why my country is poor and then why the country is living and above the line. So I started thinking Thai situation, living standard is higher than us, that the salary is higher than us. So I started to thinking, and okay, I need to do something for my country by seeing, you know, these Burmese migrant workers who I who were in prison with me. Then later, uh, I joined the movement. Okay, I need to do something for my country. I will do something because yeah, I am. I was young at the time. I was young, and for this fight, my inspiration is after I joined the uh, the underground movement. In 2006, 
You know, our country was changed, uh, democratization in 2010. And then the government, uh, the, the previous government, the Long Freedom Association, then I came back with my organization in 2012. I had a lot of expedition for labor sector. You know, I were trying my best. We were trying our best to achieve uh, a working, you know, good working conditions for our brothers and sisters, for my country. And that we will, you know, try our best for democratization. But when the coup, you know, this time on the 1st of February, I was really angry that, you know, uh, I, I did not get married, sister, because I want to spend my life, you know, for the... My Can you hear us, Sandar? I think we lost her. I think we may have, yes. Um, oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. Hi. Sorry, sister. <laughs> yeah, electricity, get off. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to see you and we won't keep you. I know it's late and, and this has been a really, really fantastic interview. And you were just starting to say that you never got married because you wanted to be dedicated to this work. I wanted to see yes. if you wanted to to finish that thought. Yes, yes. Uh, I I had a very high expectation for the labor sector, uh, for my country uh, to be. You know, the labor sector should be developed. Uh, our workhouse rights uh, should be in line with international labor standards. So that's my expectation, uh, my ambition for my country. So that's why for 10 years after I came back from uh, Thailand, you know, from exile movement. And uh, yeah, I spent my life for the, the, the movement, you know, my life. I, I sleep at the uh, office. I work at the office. I don't go back to my family, you know, uh, very well. I just, you know, um, uh, go back to my family to, to meet with my parents, very rare because I want to develop a labor sector for the country. But, you know, like, like this, you know, I, uh, I invested my life, my young, young, you know, younger time, you know, in my lifetime. But this military coup, you know, we, 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 we try, you know, to be good social partners, you know, in the tripartite mechanism. Uh, together with, you know, International Labor uh, Organization, ILO, and then our international brothers and sisters from uh, Solary Center, EFL, CIO. So I had, you know, personally, I had very high expectation for my country. But, you know, this, this stupid military hand out, they, and then they destroy everything, what we beat up, you know, for over 10 years. So I really get uh, angry. But at the same time, uh, this is uh, my exploration, my motivation, you know, uh, to seriously, actively participate in this supreme revolution. These uh, these regimes can can take away so much. Uh, so many institutions hurt so many people in prison. But when I'm was hearing you say, I can feel it that they they haven't taken away you. They haven't taken away the movement, the heart of the people for a better country, for a strong democracy. They can't take that. And it's a very powerful lesson for those of us who are not there. You are fighting. 
we can be there too in this fight with you. You made a lot of calls for the international community to support the people of Burma, and we will make sure we get those out there. I want to share with you that we are completely inspired by you, that we feel our sisterhood very uh, strongly, and that will always be. And so thank you so much for sharing your powerful story. I wanted to ask you before we go, we've seen on the internet lots of pictures of people holding up three fingers in the CDM movement. What does that mean? So that is, you reject the coup, so you mean the military handa. So three fingers salute for the, uh, the to fight back the military handa. So we can hold up three fingers in, in solidarity yes. with the people of Burma and rejecting the military coup. Yes. Uh, Sorry, uh, let me pronounce in Bami's way with a three finger salute. We, in the fight, we always say, you know, we must win this fight. Since we recorded this interview in late June 2021, it's been reported in the press that major international fashion brands, including H&M, Primark, bestsellers, and others, have begun returning to Myanmar, saying that will help workers and the people of Myanmar. But as Sander points out, we can't have good jobs under Myanmar's military dictatorship, where there is no rule of law, no unions, and no rights. Most workers and their unions are calling for no overseas investment. The United Nations General Assembly took the rare step of voting to formally condemn the coup and called for an end to arms dealing with the country. A UN rights expert is calling on nations to impose sanctions on Myanmar's highly lucrative oil and gas sector, whose profits are going a long way to prop up the regime. And while the United States has been a leader among nations levying sanctions against the military junta and certain companies and individuals, activists are calling for more. When the military overthrew Myanmar's democratically elected government, the country's garment workers, most of them young women, were the first to stand up and defend their right to a free and peaceful society. They led the way for hundreds of thousands of women and men to stop working under the military junta and start the civil disobedience movement. Many of these brave women and men, workers from nearly every sector of the economy, are now experiencing incredible hardship. While the headlines from 2021 have faded from the U.S. news, union leaders and advocates for democracy are still losing their jobs, their homes, their freedom, and even their lives. Friends and family members are being imprisoned and even killed. But as our conversation with Sandar shows, they are determined to keep up the momentum, to join together and peacefully demand their rights to a government elected by the people. After the first military regime ended in 2010, thousands of workers were free to join unions where they exercised the power of collective action. They have now taken the power of that experience to stand side by side for democratic rights, joining together with the three-finger salute. We must win this fight. 
Sandar, words can't express how grateful I am to you for sharing with me and our listeners your incredible story. Thank you, Sister Sandar, for your incredible bravery and leadership on behalf of workers in Myanmar and for lifting up their voices here as they sacrifice everything for a better future, a democratic future, a future that values the rights of all. In the episode description, you will find resources to directly support Myanmar workers and learn more about actions the civil disobedience movement is calling for from the international community to end the dictatorship. You can follow and subscribe to the Solidarity Center podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. Learn more about the Solidarity Center at SolidarityCenter.org and follow our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Solidarity Center podcast is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, and our show is produced and engineered by Adam Yaffe. A special thanks to the staff of the Solidarity Center who assisted with this podcast. In more than 60 countries around the world, we work to ensure a righteous future for workers. Dignity, freedom, equality, and justice. For the Solidarity Center podcast, I'm Shauna Bader-Blau. Thanks for listening. <laughs>